Welcome to Check the Program, a podcast by four sometimes arts journalists who saw a desperate need for arts coverage in Victoria and decided to do something about it. I'm Amanda Farrell-Lowe. I'm Melanie Trump-Hoover. I'm John Threlfall. And I'm Sarah Petrescu. And uh, we have an interesting show for you today. We're going to be talking about some stuff we've seen. Griffin and Sabine at the Belfry, Atomic Vaudeville's family-friendly Rudolph. Charles Ross's One Man Stranger Things, and uh, we're going to talk about a hot issue in the city, uh, what's happening with the um, Royal McPherson uh, Theatre Society, and uh, some increases in costs for local local companies, and we're also going to share what our favorite, most impactful show of the year is. But before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that Victoria occupies the traditional territories of the Lekwungen-speaking and Coast Salish peoples, including what is now known as the Squamalt and Songhees First Nations. As settler people, we have the privilege to live, work, and create on these lands, and much of the art we are discussing has also been created and performed here. Where are we going to start? Griffin, Griffin and Sabine? Yeah, yeah I think that's a good place. I'm the only one who did not see it. Oh, so. okay. Right? You were there too, Melody. Yeah. Yep. Um, before we get into that, does anybody read the books and love the books? Yes, 20 years ago. Yeah, I read them when they all came out as well. Well, not all, I won't say all, because there's seven now. I read three of them. So, yeah, I think yeah. so. I think I'm the same. So yeah, the Griffin and Sabine books by Nick Bantock, who lives here now. Um, and they were sort of a magical experience of opening a book reading a novel through opening letters and stamps, you know, beautiful art and... Uh, so they actually had letters in the books? Yeah, yeah. you opened, you opened oh, okay. the envelope and you pulled out the letter, you took out a postcard and you discovered the story, like Sarah said, oh, cool. through these uh, ephemera. And mm. it was a fascinating approach to a novel. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it was pretty different. Yeah, and gorgeous. And gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. All of which makes uh, adapting it to a stage uh, somewhat problematic, right? Uh, and I know they've tried for years to adapt them to film or television, uh, stage ended up being the one that Bantock himself said it was closest to. Um, I, I don't. <laughs> Ultimately, is it satisfying to people who love the books and for people who love theater? Uh, I'm going to land sort of not really. It's uh, it's it's not. I didn't find it was. Uh, uh, I didn't. Yeah, it was tough. I had trouble with this one because it was beautiful to look at. It was interesting, but yeah, I didn't find it served the books well. And I didn't find, as a piece of theatre, it went far enough for me. Yeah, I thought it was a real missed opportunity because I think when you build up a story as almost like a mythology with, with that experience of like, this is something totally a new way to experience a novel, then you should kind of have a parallel to mm-hmm. the yeah. other genre. Like for theatre, and theatre has so many more creative opportunities than books. So like you can do anything. You can... Well, they had the technology there, yeah, like the scrim for projections, and yet, and not that the projections that they created um, weren't beautiful, but weren't dynamic and didn't exactly. actually give you the picture of that. You know, um, Griffin goes on this world mm. tour and is describing through letters to Sabine these things that he's seen and these visceral experiences he's having, but it lands flat because the projections aren't there painting that picture yeah. potentially, and yet the technology was there and was being mm-hmm. used. So I'm wondering, and maybe I'll get your thoughts on this, do you feel like the the play was a little, in its written form, was a little bit limiting? Like, were they sort of bound by maybe the author just saying, okay, let's keep it true to this 
to this dialogue. I think so, that's, because that's how I felt, was that as a play, it didn't go far enough. You yeah. talked about the experience, and that for me was the heart of the books. It was the experience of opening these mm-hmm. books, of engaging yeah. with the books physically, dynamically, and the uh, the audience for the books being a participant in the story. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like a participant in that mm-hmm. story in the no. theater. I felt like a, a, an observer yes. who was just watching things unfold, and not always satisfyingly. There have been other plays that have done um, epistolatory stories well. You know, the idea of using letters in mm-hmm. theater, uh, 84 Charing Cross Road, uh, love letters, things like that. Um, but this one I didn't really find. Way too many words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It felt, yeah, yeah, it felt like an illustrated reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And beautiful uh, words. But yeah. Beautiful words, yep. but it was t- it was way too much. Um, I wanted to see Sabine's studio. Mm-hmm. You know, we never yeah. saw that. The first act set was lovely, but then it was all cleared away for the second act so the revolve mm-hmm. could happen. And we got a really bare stage with mm-hmm. more projections. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I was yeah. kind of unsatisfied. And was the ending a rush for you guys? Or is that how the book... Well, like, it just felt like killing the pony a little bit of, bam, in, in two minutes. The ending that happens off stage? Yes. And then suddenly the show is over? It's yeah. like, what? Mm-hmm. What just happened? Yeah. You know? There are a few things that didn't quite make sense. And, uh, the, you know, Sabine was... I know that in the book she's purposefully mysterious, but I think translated to the stage, she actually seemed kind of one-dimensional and almost even a little bit of, like, dare I say, an exoticized younger woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't translate as well. Yeah. So I think if to build up mystery around a character that she sort of develops throughout the series, it can't. it has to be done in a way that is a little bit more engaging and gives her a little more dimension even yeah. if, even if you're not getting the full picture so yeah, mm-hmm. I wonder what people thought of it I mean it's it was a great first start mm-hmm. um, well, which I think could develop into something really amazing. which is my hope for it you know I, I applaud the initiative of developing new work mm-hmm. of having a world premiere this is the world premiere of the show it's very rare that a world premiere stops you know like usually yeah. the work goes on and gets developed further and then yep. taken somewhere else and then developed further yeah. and then taken somewhere else that's my hope for this show because it does have great potential. Mm-hmm. The sound design alone had great potential, but it was so minimal and underused. I wanted more from yeah. that. And I wanted more from the set, more from the lighting, yeah. more from the actors. More art, Just more, more stuff. You know, everybody in the theater less, had a program. You know, what if listening. the program had an envelope in it that at a certain point in the show you That's opened and took thinking. something out or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, paper would cascade down over the audience instead of over the stage so that we could discover something for yeah, ourselves? Yeah, there's kind of like a dump of letters yeah. on the stage and it just sort of didn't make sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's all sorts of ways you can play with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, so I hope it does go on and get developed further. Yeah. yeah. I do love seeing great books translated into plays, though. Yeah, agreed. So that's Griffin and Sabine at the Belfry closes on Sunday, which is, what, the 23rd? Yes. December 23rd? Is it? I know. Yeah, yeah I know. Is it? <laughs> so that's soon. Where has this month gone? Uh, yeah, you're telling me. Um, speaking of Christmas around the corner uh sarah and i both took our families <laughs> to see the atong vaudeville pantomime at uh at the roxy the further adventures of rudolph the red-nosed reindeer eat pray glow, eat, pray, glow. <laughs> <laughs> uh and i loved it um i've been a fan of atomic vaudeville for many many years it was strange going to an Atomic Vaudeville show and knowing you weren't going to see somebody's junk. Uh, Not and being half cut. <laughs> terrible wine. Um, and yeah, I think there was, a. I know just talking to people, there was like some apprehension, like how are they going to pull it off? Mm-hmm. 
but they still managed to really um, bring the essence of a great atomic vaudeville show to this to this play. Um, there are full on brand new musical numbers. It's well rehearsed. There's a big cast that includes kids some uh, Atomic Vaudeville regulars. It's hosted by Howie Siegel, who, uh, yeah, he's the original owner of the Roxy. Sure. Mm-hmm. He was great. He was awesome. I thought he was hilarious. Yeah. Even the first, you know, I saw the preview night, and he was sort of warming up to the script. Mm-hmm. But he was so good. No matter what he does, he's just hilarious. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a great rapport back and forth with everyone. Mm-hmm. Is this a traditional panto where it's like cross-dressing and the audience booing and yay? Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Lots of audience participation, very relaxed performance, lots of kids. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. made it very clear, like, if you need to leave, you know, you they want you to interact with the stage. My daughter was up dancing oh, at some fun. points. We only made it to intermission because she's, you know, she's only like, almost, she's almost three, but I think an hour was about the max for mm-hmm. her, but she had a great time. And Same. I was sad I didn't get to see how it ended. Yeah, well, so. it ends in classic Atomic Vaudeville dance battle <laughs> yeah. course style. And I think it was like, it opened up a whole new world for my daughter's three. Mm-hmm. Nova was sitting on the edge of her seat. Like, I've never seen her face like that. She was just riveted and, like, clapping. And when they're doing that crazy baby shark song, she's, like, (laughs) doing all the moves and singing. And I had to, like, hold her. She was like, I want to go on the stage. I want to go on the stage. I want to sing on the stage. And she was so overwhelmed with joy. And it was such a cool thing to see. Because I can tell you she has a blank stare of a zombie when she's watching Paw Patrol. (laughs) So... To see your kid, like, just love live performances and be so enamored was amazing. So do you guys think, like, potential for an annual tradition? They said they made it clear that that's what they want to do with it, and I really hope they do because it's great. And, like, it's hard not to love the show, and it's very well rehearsed. The whole cast is great. I think my favorite of what I saw was the Bed Bath and Beyond song. Oh my gosh! Yeah, Carrie Walsh is hilarious. What did he wrap it? Was it a wrap? He was like Elf on the Shelf. Yeah, and he did oh a Bed Bath. He was pretty funny. Yeah, I mean everybody was great. Yeah. Kelly Hobson's Princess Gwyneth was like yeah. was amazing, and the the puppet work. Elliot Loran was in the show, and yeah, he's really always, good cast. Yeah, like very solid cast. Everyone was wonderful, and I liked how the kids. You know, you see kids and stuff in professional theater, and they're kind of like. Like the backgrounders mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they just sort of stand there and look cute or these kids were in there they mm-hmm. were part of the chorus they were dancing they were you know yelling and they were part of it and it was nice to see that too it wasn't just sort of like the token kid scene mm-hmm. so yeah they were, and I imagine like that's a lot of work for those kids because they're like the show's up was up for two weeks and oh. closes mm-hmm. on Sunday. Yeah, and but it's got to be, you know, pretty satisfying yeah, to be in, yeah. be in a theater like that. Highly recommend it. They totally. have, like, family passes, so you can get, like, for, I, can, I don't know how much they are, but it's, like, you can get tickets for, like, families of right. four or five, and it makes it a little more affordable. Because it is, the price point is up there, but uh, totally worth it. Age range? Well, I mean, my three almost to, three-year-old loved it. Yeah, three to my daughter's three. Whatever, yeah. yeah. I would say if your kid can kind of sit through a movie. Yeah. A, but AV regulars long. as well? Like people oh, don't totally. Have There's something yeah. for everybody. Adults will love it. Yeah, we were all like, laughing. Yeah. Even if you just, you know, you don't have to go with kids. You could 
just go just if you're go. just a fan. Yeah. And it's hilarious. And then, and then it's fun to see other kids go nuts. Yeah. There was one part in the beginning where it started, and I've had this experience in, at a Harry Potter movie where it starts with kind of like the Star Wars writing. Yeah. And all the kids are like, what's going on? Because they can't read yet. <laughs> so they're all like, what's going on? What's happening? It's like this panic. <laughs> yeah, so hi, check it out. Uh, support what hopefully becomes an annual tradition. Yeah, totally. Uh, and it's on at the Roxy until uh, December 23rd. Oh, great. Mm. I saw the One Man Stranger Things the other night. Went to the Charles Ross double bill of uh, One Man Lord of the Rings and One Man Stranger Things. And uh, Lord of the Rings I'd seen a couple of times before and it was exactly what I thought it was, but it was still super fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took a couple of kids with me who had never seen it before and they really enjoyed the whole thing as well. Uh, and then One Man Stranger Things was the new show that I hadn't seen yet. Uh, having seen both seasons of Stranger Things definitely helps, uh, but if you haven't seen it, uh, you'll you know you'd still enjoy it. You, I think you'd be really lost. Mm-hmm. But there are people there who had never seen Stranger Things hmm. who were. How, how does he do the demigorgon? Uh, yeah, the demigorgon is pretty funny the mm-hmm. way he does it, and what works. Okay, so what he does the full season, he does almost all the characters. Um, what works best in this one is he's not so much trying to recreate the entire show like in Lord of the Rings or Star Wars that he does. He's trying to... He does that, but then he's also commenting on the 80s-ness of it all, mm. and he's picking out the reference points and making them really obvious to the audience as well, like sort of saying, oh, you know, this is from E.T., did you realize that? Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. So picking up on that. Um, the Demigorgon is super fun. Uh, his Winona Ryder is bang on. <laughs> his Hopper, the Sheriff Hopper, is very good as well. Uh, I think I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, I don't know if I enjoyed it more than The Lord of the Rings, but I certainly enjoyed seeing him do some new material. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And something like Stranger Things was a great choice because there is only two seasons. We know there's another season's coming. He can add that in Mm -hmm. as well and have a fully, you know, more full. So, how many one mans has he done? Uh, So, Stranger Things, Star Wars, Mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings, Pride and Prejudice. Uh, which he teased that he might be doing at the Belfry Studio sometime oh, cool. in the near future. Okay. He has never done that one in town. Um, he's doing 421 is Dead, but that's not a one-man. That's a two-hander okay. with Rod Peter. Is there another one I'm missing? Oh, the Batman, the Dark Knight trilogy. Mm, that's oh, right. Okay. I forgot about that. Yeah, so quite a few. Yeah. And the, you know the, the amazing thing with Charles Ross is that a, he can keep all that in his head. Mm-hmm. B, he can keep all these characters as crisp as he can. And C, physically, that he can keep up with the demands of these performances. Like, they are punishing mm-hmm. physical shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Stranger Things is certainly the least physical of them all. Um, but it's it's still a very physical show for cool. him. <laughs> it's pretty, yes, so the Demigorgon. I cannot now see the Demigorgon without thinking of him doing it. <laughs> so, I think there's something to it. But I really enjoyed it. And uh, anyone who likes Stranger Things would certainly get a kick out of it, too. Cool. Hopefully have, we have another chance to see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What's next? Next is the talk of the town. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the dueling Roman letters. Theater Society <laughs> yes. dueling letters in the local newspapers and social media. So, To the best of my understanding, it sounds like it's a complicated issue. Mm-hmm. To the best of my understanding, uh, the Royal has announced that uh, they're going to be requiring local companies to pay full rates uh, for every day that they want to be in the Royal Theatre now, uh, to make that clear. So it sounds like uh, Pacific Opera Victoria, for example, when they're rehearsing and running a show, uh, they get one rate for the rehearsal nights, they pay uh, the full community rate for the show nights, and then they're dark, and then they pay for the nights that they're up. That's my understanding. 
uh, it sounds like now they're going to be paying the full rate for every single night, whether they're mm-hmm. dark or rehearsing or mounting the production. And in some cases, that's double. Like, the rate itself is double yes. what it's been yeah. for a community. So the rates are going up. The date restrictions are coming into place. They don't want to have uh, huge blocks of time put aside over key, what they call key dates, key weekends as well. Where there's nothing mm-hmm. happening, like where it's mm-hmm. black because it's booked. Yeah. Is that right? So it sounds like this is primarily affecting Victoria Symphony, uh, Pacific Opera Victoria, and Dance Victoria. Mm-hmm. So I guess the part that's confusing me is that people have pointed out that they're not you know, suffering financially that much because they had a surplus last year or something um the society so like what's the motivation is it that they need more funds for their operating is it well the i think the the rmts has countered that that surplus is not to be used for operating yeah so um yeah what I've heard again, this is mostly what I've heard because we haven't talked to any of the key players. Involved yeah, we here. should we should stress that this is yeah. all stuff that we've, we've read. We've been reading. Yeah, yeah, we mm-hmm. haven't actually had an opportunity to chat with anyone about this yet, so we're not going to put ourselves as experts on this. Yeah. yeah, but what I've heard is that they're they feel they're missing out on uh, booking the venue that they could be doing with other acts, mm-hmm. out of town mm-hmm. acts, whatever acts that may be. Okay. So you know, by opening up these dates. Uh, that allows them the freedom to bring more acts to town. Mm-hmm. And, and that does not surprise me. Like, you know, we all know there's various touring bands that we would love to see here, but quite often there aren't dates open and the yeah. number of seats available for the show that they want to bring in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, King and I is coming in in a couple of weeks to the Royal as well, and uh, that's an out-of-town show. So my concern is that we're now going to be seeing a lot of money shifting over to the out-of-town mm-hmm. shows as opposed mm-hmm. to the locally produced shows. Um, and that's and, kind I mean, of that's, the, the argument that's going. It's kind of yeah. putting those pitting those two things against yeah. each other. Right? And yep. I mean, my question is, okay, so maybe that's the case, but I don't want to see a bunch of out-of-town shows of things that are kind of mediocre mm-hmm. or a bunch of bands from the 80s come back for their, you know, retirement tour because we get enough of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But... The question I have is, will opening up these dates allow other arts organizations in town access Mm -hmm. to those theaters? Because I think it was Mike Delamont pointed out on Facebook that the Royal Theater can be pretty effective for an artist who's, you know, like he's a local guy who can fill the Royal. And there might be other artists in town who can do that or want to do that, but they might need a Friday night or a Saturday Mm -hmm. night. So Jesse Roper can't keep booking the Mac. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I'm kind of torn about the whole thing. Yeah, yeah but I it, think I need more information because, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'd like to talk to the RMTS, we'd like to talk to Pro Art as well, mm-hmm. Pro Art Alliance of Greater Victoria, uh, which I think would be an interesting conversation because their membership includes Pacific Opera, the Victoria Symphony, and the Royal McPherson Theatre Society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine those meetings. Mm-hmm. But it seems like if the goal is to open up the theater to other artists and certain nights and days, is the means to that doubling the fees? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that's a good question. Yeah, because yeah. I mean that's a lot of money suddenly for arts organizations to pony up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've heard that the Victoria Symphony is talking about taking a number of their shows up to the Farquhar Auditorium at uh, UVic. 
Um, but Pacific Opera, for example, they're in the position that they can only do their shows at the Royal Theatre. There is no other venue in town that would be suitable for a full production that needs a fly gallery mm -hmm. and wing space and backstage areas. Mm -hmm. Nothing else in town has that option. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of stuck in a pickle. Mm -hmm. um, I think we all agree we would like to see opera expanded more and see yeah. more of the workshop productions they've been doing at the Bauman and mm -hmm. will continue to do. Yeah, um, I'd love to see longer runs of those. Yeah. Incredible shows. But for their full signature operas. We've only got mm -hmm. three operas a year though. Yeah. It's not that much. Yeah. The symphony has a lot of a lot of shows. They do. But they even they could content. do better to have some yeah. different venues. I, th I think, honestly, I think this is all part of the shifting demographics of Victoria. Mm -hmm. You know, we're shifting economically, we're shifting demographically, uh, we're shifting in terms of space, in terms of development, in terms of gentrification. A lot of things are changing at the moment. Um, the next 10 years is going to be very telling for Victoria when it comes mm -hmm. to the arts audience, uh, when it comes to the donors and the funders as well, mm -hmm. and who the new audience is going to be. Because 10 years yeah. from now, we're going to see a lot of core audience members who are not in those seats any longer. Mm -hmm. And isn't that kind of one of the arguments that they've made? I mean, one was budgetary because I think their core Victoria Saanich groups have been set for like 20 years mm -hmm. and whatever they're contributing. But is that argument of diversity, which is a really loaded has a lot of connotations word that they're using to to um yeah i assume yeah. diversify their audiences too mm -hmm. knowing seeing the writing on the wall that way mm -hmm. i kind of don't buy that though because if you look at those core organizations dance victoria mm -hmm. pacific opera victoria victoria symphony those aren't just performing organizations mm -hmm. like those are organizations where if you're studying the arts that is your beacon mm -hmm. like you need to be exposed and to those that's the core of learning about music mm -hmm. and it's not just about going to a great show like there's so much more such a bigger impact to having those types of organizations in a city like mm -hmm. it's well think about dance days coming up in january yeah, it's dance education yeah. it's mm -hmm. you know if you're a young person studying music mm -hmm. or dance or you know and opera or singing you or theater like that is what you've got to be exposed to that mm -hmm. is the core right it's and honestly those on like i've been to so many dance victoria shows this year and it is a wide wide reaching audience mm -hmm. well they've kids, done a great job of right? diversifying exactly yeah. their audience and for opening sure. it up so other big question is this a tactic to get the other municipalities to pitch in more money which would be nice but i'm not i don't see it happening yeah no um but I mean, yes, we all know that needs to happen. The, other the thing symphony can, will go out and play at the Q Center. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the other thing to keep in mind too is the uh, you know the job generation that happens yes. with the symphony with the mm -hmm. Pacific Opera Victoria. You know, the symphony is full of local people who play, uh, and the opera. You know, what you see on stage is one part portion of it, but it's only tip of the iceberg for the set painters and the lighter. Mm -hmm. You know, like mm -hmm. everybody, we all know this. The front house, everything. Uh, it really helps to. Uh, to make the city a viable place for artists to live. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, it's not just a question of consuming that art, it's also a question of creating the art too. Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah. There's so much more than performance dates and it's, they're institutions. Yeah. So I hope that it can be, there can be a happy resolve to mm -hmm. it and that those organizations, maybe they'll, I don't know, branch out in different ways or accommodate other things. I don't know. Or their ticket prices will go through the roof. Or their like, ticket price will. Well, it's been clear for a long time that something needs to change at those theaters, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's That's been a, true. it's been a point of discussion for a long, long time. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, this is, this is definitely going to be a change. Is it going to be a good one? It could Who also knows? be a negotiating tactic. Yeah, it's right? true. So right. We'll yeah. See what happens. yeah. I mean, among other things, we probably do need a new big theater in Victoria, like a good arts venue. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. Gosh. <laughs> when have we heard that Christmas before? Christmas miracle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Speaking of wish lists. Or yeah. 2018. Yeah. Year's almost over. And we saw quite a bit of shows this year. So we're going to do a really informal, just kind of like look back on this past year. Any highlights? Anyone... So highlights of the last calendar year, going back to January. Yeah, we're talking yeah. About 2018. I think 2018. As a whole. Yeah, 2018. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not as good start. as 2017. I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna say for you know, ours. and for the world, really. <laughs> for the world. Yeah. Nothing beats Onegin at the Bel- Belfry for yeah. me, <laughs> theater wise. It was so good. It was good, but that was last year. That was last year. Stop living in the past, Sarah. I know, living in the past. I mean, some of the best stuff I saw this year, I would say, uh, came from out of town at the Spark Festival. Mm -hmm. I really liked True Crime. I really liked Who Killed Spalding Gray. Yeah, those were two highlights for me. Yeah. It was just interesting to see those shows so close together, too, because they were kind of similar but different. And mm-hmm. yeah, I liked that pairing at Spark. I thought that was yeah. good programming. Spark was my highlight, too, but different show, Cafe Daughter, mm-hmm. um, that came in the based on the true story of Senator Lillian Eva Kwandik. And um, Tiffany Ayalik came in. She's an Inuit performer and did an absolutely beautiful job, one woman show. Um, and it was exactly what I expect of Spark mm-hmm. to bring in that really progressive, interesting um, Canadian storytelling. Well, they bring in international work too, but the Canadian storytelling they've brought in through mm-hmm. the festival is mm-hmm. amazing. And that was absolutely my highlight this year. Great. Great. Um, I'm looking over at your list of your other <laughs> highlights that you've written down, Mel. And you have kind of some that I had too, actually. The Wilds by Wonderheads yeah. at the Fringe, amazing. Mm-hmm such a cool experience Mm -hmm. the puppetry and creativity totally understated and beautiful Mm -hmm. um so that was on my list too and they're local now you also have blithe spirit at langham I just mentioned and probably that. maybe this other one because we were there together I see that one yeah <laughs> Bly Spirit the costumes and the technology were incredible mm-hmm. Langham is killing it this year yeah Langham is killing a strong season. season you know the clean house was a real surprise mm-hmm. for me their production of that was fascinating like I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it and I quite liked Goodnight yeah. Mr. Tom like mm-hmm. the uh you know, it was very imaginative for like, you know, a pretty straight up wartime drama. I thought the way they did it was excellent. And I have high hopes for uh, Spelling Bee, which mm-hmm. is coming up next. Yeah, in um, yeah their last big musical, Year in Town, Year which in was town. this yeah. year, yeah. beginning yeah, yeah. of the year. They did a fantastic job on a tiny stage yeah. with a massive yeah. cast and a really um, dynamic set. It really yeah. feels like they're having fun and it's yeah. such a great theater to go to. It's just sort of tucked away and mm-hmm. it has such a cool feel. Um, and yes, the other thing on your list, <laughs> the Revolution Prince's Band <laughs> doing a tribute show. His original band played at Phillips, um, was that the Phillips Backyard? Yeah, we or was yeah. it Rifflandia? No, it was closed on Sunday night. That was such an epic show, like seeing Wendy and Lisa just kill it and the doctor. Yeah. Like, it was amazing. I cried and danced and laughed. Like, they just were so joyous and just they were it was a tribute to their friend mm-hmm. they loved prince and i didn't think about that going to the show i mm-hmm. just thought oh prince's band it's gonna be fun 
but it there's was so much love so, in it. There right. was so much love, and they got so much love back, and they were so emotional. Mm-hmm. That was a great show. And my ears were ringing for days afterwards. Totally. I can hear it clearly from, from here. Yeah. yeah. The other kind of surprise show that really was impactful for me was uh, Jesse Reyes at um, Rifflandia. Oh. She surprised me. I was I went into yeah. that show not really expecting much because no. I didn't love her music, but she put on an excellent show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. incredible performer, so heartfelt. She had a little bit of like social consciousness mixed in. And um, just gave it all, like beautiful singer, and but you know, great. She was great. Yeah, you're standing beside me mm-hmm. doing that one. I liked her uh, Drake cover. Yeah, <laughs> that was fine. I actually did feel kind of old at that show. Oh, well, yeah. you know, I talk about shifting demographics. I think Rifflandia was making some changes this year mm-hmm. because Daniel Seaver, Caesar. Jesse Reyes, and then the Sunday night, the local closer on Sunday nights, sort of dream band mm-hmm. lineup. Um, I think they were really trying something new, not bringing in some sort of, you know, a classic rock headliner. Um, I think we'll see next year. It'll be curious to see what they do, you mm-hmm. know, because I think they were trying to bring in that younger crowd. Yeah, there's kind of a balance when you're trying to get name recognition for bands, but then at the same time, when you have people who are just coming up and... Yeah who are kind of at the start of their career, that's their creative high point. Sure and they is. just bring a different energy. Mm-hmm. And it can, if you take a chance and you go to a show, it can really, really be impactful. Yeah, I think, so. you know, Riflandia has been around long enough. They've built up the brand loyalty. Maybe they can have a little more fun with it. And the, yeah. the music industry has changed. Yeah. Like we hit, we're on the downturn of peak festival. Yep. Totally. The Canadian dollar is in the toilet. So mm-hmm. booking touring acts is more expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think that people were asking a lot of money once festivals were like became such a big thing, and it's like frankly that's how musicians have to make money now. Sure. Like they're not making it selling albums. So, uh, yeah, I think that um, yeah, I think they had a strong year. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't like the lineup. I know at first I was like oh, I don't know much about it, but I had a great time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was all about the music. Yeah, yeah. it's good. I think you need to see it in the suite of what they present as well. I think Rock the Shores is going to start getting more of these sort of you know over the hill mm-hmm. retro acts. Uh, I think Riflandia is going to stay, try and stay current, mm-hmm. and then something like the Backyard Weekender is going to just be fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. On the dance front, we had so much good dance this year, mm-hmm. um, and actually one of my highlights was an eleven dollar friend show from <laughs> Dance Paradise that came in. Oh, that's right. By way of kind of Argentina and kind of Montreal, and it was like. Like the kind of caliber of dance, except for that it was paired working on a large ensemble that Dance Victoria would bring in. Like mm-hmm. that level of choreography for a fringe show was amazing. And I mean, fringe had a few dance pieces this year, but that one in particular. And then speaking of Dance Victoria, um, Ballet Hispanico that they brought in mm-hmm. in February, March, something like that. Three Latina choreographers and and very very modern, incredibly energetic, um, campy in the bits where it sent up Latino culture. What sorry what you know Canadians and and Americans um, think of Latino culture, and it was just it was fascinating and absolutely beautiful. And they continue to bring in really really high caliber international work. So a lot more of that next year too. Mm-hmm. A couple of notable student shows, Drowsy Chaperone, uh, just for the sheer success of it at the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though it just was a couple of weeks ago, I really enjoyed the Penelope yeah. the CCPA. It's a beautiful, lively, high-spirited production. Your review made me sad. I'm really sad. Yeah, I, I want to go to the next <laughs> three days, uh, alumni show. Three days. Go to, go, to, uh, go to West Side Story. Uh, oh, definitely. Oh, my <laughs> God. I, love, I was in West Side Story when I was 15. It was like one of the highlights of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's great, and uh, so 
that was 2018 and we'll be back in 2019 2019 wow Mm -hmm. for more checking the program yeah uh (laughs) thanks to everyone for listening i guess it's been almost a year that we've been doing this now we started in like february march last year this past year so yeah we're gonna take a little bit of a break for the holidays do a bit of regrouping and i don't know maybe make a few tweaks to the show based on some feedback and uh you know what we want to get out of it so let us know if you have any suggestions or ideas or feedback we're open yeah check the program yyj at gmail.com facebook and twitter check the program so thanks for listening uh, until next time, I'm Amanda Farrell-Lowe. I'm Melanie trump I'm Sarah Petrescu. I'm John Trellfall. And don't forget to check, check the, the program. program.